So you have to wonder at this point in the Torah, we're deep into the book of Numbers, which is four-fifths of the way through, you have to wonder if God is getting a little tired of doling out punishments. There have been plagues. There was grinding up a golden calf and then feeding it to the people who made it. Storms of fire, barring disbelievers from entering the promised land, and swallowing dissenters into the earth. So in this portion of Chukat, God has to get a little creative. The Israelites are, once again, complaining about how life would be much better for them if they had died at any other point on this journey. And this time, God sends Nechashim Serafim, Seraph Serafim, from the root for burn, serpents, fiery serpents. I can just imagine, I don't know if you can, a stand-up bit of some kind derived from this moment. The character of God is sitting around in some heavenly chamber and receives the report. They did what? Again? Well, okay, uh, let me see what else is in the file on punishments. Uh, wandering, done that. Uh, plague, done it. Getting stuck behind a slow camel in the left lane? <laughs> that feels excessive. You know what? I give up. Let's just do, I don't know, just do snakes or something. You, wanna, you want them to fly? Okay. Yeah, let's have them fly and set them on fire. It's really ridiculous, right? Flying fiery snakes as a punishment. So there are the children of Israel once again being punished for misbehaving. And this time they're being pursued by fiery serpents. And as usual, they go to Moses for relief. Moses prays on their behalf. And God tells Moses, and here is a really interesting part, to build a giant bronze snake on a pole in the middle of the camp. And that anyone who was bitten by the fiery serpents would come look at the bronze snake and be healed. The whole story is, in a word, bizarre. Stand up aside, what's with the new punishment tactic? And what's with the idol-like but not idolatrous bronze statue? And why is all of this coming up in the middle of a portion otherwise preoccupied with a far deeper theme, the theme of loss? rituals around loss, and the deaths of Miriam and Aaron. In an episode of Godcast, which is an online animated video series with weekly interpretations of the Torah portion, an Australian Jewish writer and educator named Malky Rose suggests about this portion that the snakes are not actually a real physical punishment but a metaphorical one. She posits that the serpents represent the Israelites' fears and doubts, those little snake-like voices in our heads that nip at our thoughts and plague us into indecision or self-loathing. By having the Israelites build a replica of those snakes and stare at it, she argues, God is forcing them to confront the things that they fear. 
Only when we can name what scares us, she says, when we make it manifest in the middle of our camp, are we able to be healed. I like this interpretation, and I want to build on it. If we agree with Rose that the snakes are not literal, fiery, scary monsters, but a metaphor, then it's worth figuring out why God and the text would choose a snake as the central image of this metaphorical plague. There are only two other stories in all of Torah where snakes appear, and I bet you can guess at least one of them. Anybody? Adam and Eve, I heard. Yeah, exactly. The one that's really famous, the one we all know, is the Garden of Eden, right? The second one, the only other time we see a snake in Torah, is when Moses, back in Exodus, newly chosen to lead the Israelite people, is told to throw down his staff, and it will turn into a snake. So we have the Garden of Eden snake, and we have Moses's staff snake. It seems like they're both sort of a positive and a negative depiction of how snakes work in Torah. But I think that they have, in both cases, the animal represents um, a unifying idea, which is the opening of a door between the human realm and the divine. In both cases, the snake is an indication of power, either the power to stand up to Pharaoh and bring about the 10 plagues of destruction, or the power of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, that primordial divine knowing. And in each case, the snake's power, the snake's movement into that realm will eventually lead to death. Moses's snake-turned staff is what initiates all of those 10 plagues, culminating in the death of the firstborn. And Eden's snake's persuasions lead to Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden, which ultimately is the origin of human mortality. Those snakes and these fiery serpents, I would say, do not just represent the Israelites' general, small, little fears. They represent their inability to face mortality, despite their constant wishes to die in the desert. They represent their pain at having lost two of their three great leaders, Miriam and Aaron. And they represent all of our struggles, with that power that moves beyond the rhythms of life and death, the questions that bite at our heels, the desire to know how we might live and how we might live well, the unknown beyond that living that can so easily burn at the edge of our consciousness. And true, making the reality of our own mortality manifest in bronze, putting that snake where we can see it, is an admirable first step. It stops that immediate onslaught of the plague of fear and doubt. But I would argue that there is another image in this portion, an even more powerful one, to counter that snake. It's the image of the well. For finally, after the plague has ceased, 
A plague started, by the way, because the Israelites had no water. They're given the gift of a well. And most amazing, they sing to it. Spring up, O well, they sing. They're able to quench their physical thirst, but they're also able to slake a much deeper spiritual thirst. They're finally able to close the cycle of loss that they've actually experienced. Because we read earlier in the portion that upon Aaron's death, the people engaged in a ritual of mourning. They sat Shloshim for 30 days and nights. But even earlier, when Miriam dies, there is just one verse. No ritual, no acknowledgement, no nothing. Miriam was the one, according to Midrash, who provided a well for the Israelites wherever they traveled. So now, finally, after her death, after the plague which mortality not reckoned with brought about, the Israelites are finally able to find healing once more in the gift of her life. Naming mortality for what it is is vital if we are to navigate that despair, that potential plague of the snakes. But life does not truly become life without the well without drawing on a source of spiritual nourishment, without joy and song and dance. It's when they stare at the snake that the plague stops, but it's only when they sing to the well, to the miracle of water, that the Israelites are truly healed. So it can be in our own lives. We know we cannot avoid the truth of our humanity, that every person who comes into this world must one day, at least physically, leave it. To avoid that truth means only that fire will come hissing after us. But I pray this Shabbat that we are guided by the far more powerful symbol, that of Miriam and her well. May we find space for beauty and joy in the midst of our mortal strivings. May we drink deeply from the gifts of lives of those who once guided us and who guide us still. And may we find not a Pollyanna-ish empty optimism for life, but a deep and resonant joy in the knowledge that our mortality, wrapped up in our humanity, need not be a plague, that it can be, in its way, a blessing.